let's see. There we go. All right, we got it. All right, I got a voice now. I am, man, usually we're not up here right when um, the worship team is still praying, but I'm just excited. I am really, really excited. I just couldn't wait to get up on stage. And I got my, uh, I got my shepherd staff, so maybe you're kind of thinking, okay, we've been in the I am statements. I think I know where he's going today. If you have had a chance to talk with me, especially if you're a small group leader, you know that I absolutely love the story of the Good Shepherd. I just get excited every time I get a chance to talk about it. And so I've been going over my message. I've been trying to, you know, keep it to the time frame and everything, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. All right? I'm just like, there's just so much into it. Like, we could be talking for months and months about this message or about this, uh, this whole passage here. And... Uh, I, I, just, I just want to share it with you guys. Like, I feel like excitement when, you know, it's like you're a kid waiting for Christmas. I was just like, I just wasn't sleeping at night. I was just thinking about this message and just getting so ready for it. So I just want to apologize in advance. I know that when I preach, I talk fast. Well, today I'm probably going to talk even faster, okay? So I'm sorry. Um, it will be on video. You can, like, you know, you can slow it down and watch it on the video later to try and catch up. And I know that I walk around on stage quite a bit. I might even walk on the stage even faster than normal. So I, I, I hope that I'm not, like, making your eyes dart too much. But there's just, it's an exciting, exciting story when we're talking about these last I am statements. So um, if you would, let's, uh, let's pray one more time so we can just get into this message and, and pray that I will be able to go somewhat slow, Okay. Father God, uh, man, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that you love us so much that even though you're the creator of the entire universe, that you still give us your word so that we, and who are we? We are nothing large in this universe, and yet you have still loved us and have intimate, real relationship with us and have given us your words so that we might know you better. We thank you so much for this. May your word may it be just uh, touch our hearts, speak to us, and I pray, I just want to adopt the words that Kevin says so often. I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. So would you speak to us this day, Lord? Amen. So as I said, we're going to be getting into the Good Shepherd story today. We have two I am statements in this one. It's I am the door and I am the Good Shepherd. So if you want to open up your Bibles or if you have your Bible apps, we're going to be going to John chapter 10. John is in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, I meaning it's one of the biographies of Jesus. So if you're looking for it, it just goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you are right there. <coughs> yeah. So what I want to do is I just want to break down the verses. Oh, that water did not go down very well. Excuse me for a second. <coughs> All right. We're back. So what I want to do is I just want to break down the verses. We're going to go through about 17 or 18 verses and just see what, see what the text is saying. And then after that, we're going to pull some strong points out about what Jesus is saying to us today. So I'm going to start right here. I'm just going to start on verse, uh, right here in verse 1, read through a few verses. And Jesus says this to us. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold but by, but by the door but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. All right, so let's pause right there, and let's just kind of unpack this, see, see what's going on. Okay, so, so we get to this part here, we're in, the first thing we need is context. I love talking about context because it helps to put this story in the scope of what the people, the actual audience of Jesus, what they were hearing and what they were understanding and why Jesus was using this illustration. So the first thing we learn is that when we go all the way back to the Old Testament, this idea of a, a shepherd and sheep is a wonderful illustration that God was already using to describe him and his relationship with the people. He is the shepherd and Israel is the sheep. So when the people are hearing this, they're like, okay, I know exactly where you're going with this, Jesus. You were talking about how much God loves us. You're talking about how, how God is our king, how he is our shepherd. We've heard this story before. It's written all throughout the Old Testament. One verse that comes to mind right here, Isaiah 40, 11, says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them it leads those who have young. And when I, when I hear this verse, that makes me think of uh, when you, you see pictures. Maybe you have one in your house, or maybe it's in your grandmother's house, and it's that picture of Jesus, and he's got the lamb wrapped around his shoulders, and the lamb is just beautiful and cute. And you just see, like, there's this, there's this smile and this joy between Jesus and the lamb. There's, there's this comfort when you look at that. And, and, that's, and that's what this verse is describing. That's what Israel is thinking about when they're hearing that Jesus is talking about there being a shepherd and sheep. But the context goes even a little bit deeper. See, it wasn't just used to describe God as the shepherd. It was also used to describe the leaders of Israel as shepherds. So when, when we're talking about a shepherd, we're also talking about the kings, the prophets, the priests of the day, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees of their time. They were also called to be the shepherds of Israel, and they were expected to act like a shepherd. And we will we'll get into that a, a little bit, uh, just a few verses later. But the thing that's interesting is this is painting such a beautiful story about a shepherd and his flock. Yet Jesus starts out with these first words. He starts out talking about thieves and robbers. If we're going to have this beautiful story about how much a shepherd loves a sheep, why are we starting out talking about the bad guys? So for that, we need to get even more context. And a lot of times when we read the Good Shepherd story, we only read it right there in John 10, but we actually have to go back one chapter to John chapter 9. So if we go to that chapter. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to summarize it quickly. This is a story in which Jesus, he goes and he, is, uh, he meets a man who is born blind and he heals him. And there's a, it's a big miracle that happens. He was blind and now he can see and there's rejoicing and everyone. There's just this whole big stir within Israel where it's like, okay, what happened? Something is going on. There's a big thing that's happening. And so he's, he's telling everybody in the synagogue, he's telling you know, just everyone he can find. And then the Pharisees come into play. These are the religious leaders. They're like the, the priests and the pastors of the time. And they're like, hey, what's going on here? Why, why is everybody so excited? What's the big brouhaha all about? And he's like, hey, I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. And it was amazing. This guy, he came and he healed me. And, and they're, they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on a second. You mean to tell me you got healed on the Sabbath? On Sunday? It's like, yeah. And they start, they, they start talking to him, questioning him and everything. And, and they're so mad that he got healed on the Sabbath. And he got healed by Jesus. That they actually kick this guy and his family out of the synagogue. It's completely ridiculous. 
So we know like the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments in which, uh, in which God says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's supposed to be a day of rest. It's a very important commandment. But the Pharisees, they're making it more difficult. They're putting all these extra rules on it. They're making it like the Sabbath is more important to God. We can put it this way if we put it in a modern context. Let's say there's someone, we'll, we'll just use a bad example here. There's someone in our congregation who has a, a, a very large degree of cancer. They've got terminal cancer. Let's just use that as an example. They've been praying, they've been praying. They're in the hospital and they're praying. And then God does something miraculous. He comes and he heals this person. And they're healed. And they're, they're in the hospital. We're here at church, but they're in the hospital and they're getting healed. And we're all like, they're, they're, they're just like amazed and they're praising God and everything. The doctors can't explain it. They're saying, it must be a miracle. So, so they're all happy. They get out of the hospital. They're telling everybody they can. And then Tuesday comes around and they finally get to church. And Tuesday's when we have our director's meeting. And they come bursting in through the office into our meeting room. And they're like, hey guys, guess what? I just got healed. You know that you've been praying for me. I had cancer and everything. And now I'm healed. And we just look at the person. We're like, you weren't at church on Sunday. You missed church. Like, that would be ridiculous, right? Why would we treat somebody like that? But this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They thought that the Sabbath was more important than the fact that God loved someone so much that he was willing to give them sight again. And so when Jesus is talking about thieves and robbers, we have to understand at the very beginning of this story, he is talking to the Pharisees saying, you are the thieves and the robbers and the strangers. John 10 is connected with John 9, and that's the reason that he is sharing this story. And he's giving a cautionary tale saying, you, you got to make sure that this is the way that you are living your life, especially if you are leading my sheep. Jesus talks about strangers here as well. He says, only a they will not follow strangers. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. He's telling these religious leaders, he's saying, they're not listening to you anymore because you have no real relationship with them. You don't know them and they don't know you, but a shepherd has a real relationship with his sheep. And so I started to, to think about that a little bit. And I, I was wondering, like, do sheep really know, like real sheep really just know their shepherd's voice? If you're a farmer, you know the answer to this. If you're someone who has raised sheep, you know that it is true that if you, if you spend time with your sheep, they know you. But if I go over there, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to completely ignore me. And it's very interesting because it's well known that in the Middle East, even to this time in that region, shepherds have a very special relationship with their sheep. They have a sort of personal devotion to them. They would talk to them. They would even sing to them. Sometimes they, they would name their sheep. I mean, and we're talking about a lot of sheep, and somehow they knew all of these different names of their sheep. Some of them would even have a small flute, and they would come up with a tune that only their sheep would know. So if they play this flute, their sheep are going to respond to them right away. And this was especially important because when they're in their sheep pens, and sometimes in Israel there would be multiple flocks in one pen, and you don't want to mix your sheep up, so you would call them by name or play your flute, and only your sheep would come out, and the rest of the sheep would just stay there because they know that their shepherd is not calling them. They only listen to a stranger's voice. Let's let that sink in for a minute. Think about that for ourselves. Because we know that, you know, Jesus is talking to Israel, but he's also talking to us right now. Do we only listen to the voice of our shepherd? There are strangers' voices out there. There are lots of voices that are competing with the voice of the Holy Spirit's. 
And that's a, that's a tough thing. I was actually having a conversation with a friend just this week, and he was asking me, saying, how do you know when it's just the Holy Spirit that is speaking to you and not something else, not even like your own voice? I was like, yeah, that's kind of a tough question at times because we all have distractions in our lives. We hear so many different things. And it makes it difficult to know, like, is this the Holy Spirit or is this something else? But we need to practice only listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and not to the stranger's voices. So what do we do to make sure that those competing voices are not louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit? I think that Jesus answers that when we move on into the next verses. What he says is we need a door. So Jesus moves on here in verse 7. He says this. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says here, I am the door. This kind of gets skipped over when we talk about the I am statement to Jesus because we always go right to the good shepherd, that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But, but this, this statement of I am the door is, is profound. So what we need to understand here is what is the significance of a door for the shepherd? So take a look at this picture up here. So we have a picture. I'll just start describing it and we'll, and we'll get up there. But we have a, a picture here of a, of a sheep pen. Okay, um, the sheep pen in ancient Israel, there you go. So this would just be out in the open country area. That's the sheep pen for multitudes of shepherds and sheep. They're not near town, they're out, they're grazing, and it gets dark, and so they need a place that's gonna be safe for the sheep. So they would use something like this, just a simple rudimentary rock wall. Sometimes they put briar bushes on the top just to make it a little bit more difficult around the sides. They might also use a cave. Here's a picture of a cave over in Israel as well. And that might be another place that would be like a sheepfold for Israel. But if we, if we think about that sheep pen and we think about this cave right here, what is one thing that both of them were missing? A door. They both have openings, but that's it. So a good shepherd, what he would do is that when his sheep are in there, he would take the position of the door. He would sit right at the mouth of the cave or right in the opening of the sheep pen because that is the one place where it, they're completely exposed. Now, yeah, there could be a wolf or there could be a thief or you know, anyone who can jump over the wall to try and mess with the sheep. But just think for a second. You jump over that wall and you want to take a sheep with you, it's not going to be very easy to carry that sheep back over the wall. That thing is heavy. So you're going to try and walk out through the door, and the shepherd is going to be right there, and he's going to see, he's going to be like, buddy, you ain't getting my sheep. You got to go through me, and if you're already in here, you're going to have to leave through me. And we know that's exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He said, you want my people? You got to go through me. I am willing to lay down my life. And that's what he means by the door. The door is the person who is a defender and a protector of the sheep. I think about this, um, when I was uh, in, in uh, college, I, I worked at a YMCA camp, uh, Camp Stockwell, back in New Jersey. And uh, this was a day camp, but we did have overnight activities. And it was my turn to go on the overnight camp, and we went to this place called Teepee Island. It, was, it wasn't really an island, it was just a place that was uh, almost completely surrounded by water, like a peninsula. And it was out in the middle of the woods, and it had these two gigantic teepees there that you could put like 20, 25 people in them. And so we would go, we'd have a good time, and then it'd be nighttime, and we'd have one uh, teepee for the boys, one teepee for the girls. And 
I go in and I'm looking and I've got like 20 some kids, 20 boys that are anywhere from like ages eight to like 13. And I'm thinking, man, I was one of these kids once. I know what you want to do when, you're, when it's nighttime. You want the pranks to happen. You want to sneak out. You want to do all that kind of good stuff. But I'm also thinking, I want to sleep, man. So I had a choice. It's like I could sleep over here in the corner or I could sleep here by the, by the opening. And I chose the opening. And I'm glad I did because I didn't sleep much that night. But I do remember there was one, one boy. He might have been like 10 or 11 years old. We'll call him Johnny. He woke up in the middle of the night. Didn't want to do anything bad. He just needed to go use the bathroom. And I, I could see him right away. just kind of like dazed. Like, okay, where am I? What am I doing? Like, hey, what do you need? He's like, I got to use the bathroom. So like, we get out, help him find a tree. It's in the woods. That's just the way it goes, right? And, uh, you know, he does what he needs to do. And I get him back in the tent. And it's all good. And why is it all good? Because in the morning, little Johnny was still there. Now, if, if I had not slept or like took guard in front of the opening of the, of the teepee, who knows what could have happened? Maybe he, could, he fi- figures his way out and goes and does his business, and, and maybe he's all turned around and he ends up going back to the girl's tent. Well, that would be pretty bad, right? Or it could be even worse that he doesn't even find the girl's tent and he just goes. And it's in the morning and the parents come around, like there's still little Johnny's parents waiting there, like, oh, where's little Johnny? I'm like, I don't know, he might have gone that way. You know, if you walk fast, you might be able to catch up with him. We have no idea. He could have, I mean, he was, he was a tired little kid. He could have gotten turned around very easily, tripped on a stone, fallen down a hill, and the next thing you know, we don't know where he is anymore. It's so important that we have a door. Doors help us to keep the good in and keep the bad out. And that is what Jesus is saying here when he says, I am the door. I want to be your protector. I want to keep the bad out. I want to help you when there are different voices competing for you. I'm going to be the one to, that's helping you to say, that's the voice that I don't want in my life. And then he's going to let the voice of the Holy Spirit come into your life. He needs to be our door. So the question, though, is, is Jesus your door? Are you letting him be in charge of what comes in to your life and even what goes out of your life? And you know some of the things that might be, we're talking about here. What we watch, what we listen to. There's some junk out there. It could even be right when you're listening to a podcast of a preacher. Is that preacher giving truth? Am I preaching truth to you right now? I believe I am. Do you know that I am preaching truth? Have you been asking Jesus to be your door and making sure that everything you hear that is supposed to lead you to God is the truth and is leading you to God? Jesus needs to be your door in your life. So check yourself in that. Do you have a door or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you hoping, hey, I just want to be a sheep that has no borders and no boundaries. I just want to go anywhere I want to go. Let me tell you, when Jesus is your door, he's not keeping us this little pen. He does take us out. And he takes us into wonderful places of pasture, but he also knows that there are certain places that will kill us and harm us and destroy us. And that is why he says, I want to be your door. I want to protect you. I want to defend you. Jesus then moves on to the next I am statement. And he says this in John, picking up in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaving the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's just beautiful here. Beautiful words. But it's interesting. Jesus makes a comparison here. There's two main characters in this, in this, uh, in this part of the good shepherd. He starts out talking about the hired hand. Somebody who doesn't own the sheep, who doesn't have a real intimate relationship with the sheep. So I want to confess to you something. Right now, I am the hired hand. Now, I don't mean I'm, I'm the hired hand here for you guys, like just filling in for Kevin. I, I, I love you guys. Uh, you know, I, I definitely love you guys. I'm not talking about that. I'm the hired hand at my house right now. So um, uh, some of you may know that Araceli and the kids, they're in Guatemala right now, and they've been there for the past uh, 10, 11 days. I've been on my own for, for a while. It's been, it's been quite interesting. I feel like I'm getting to know myself all over again. Hasn't necessarily been the best, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's been different. But um, uh, I'll be seeing them uh, in a week. We're, we're heading out with the missions team to Guatemala next week, and then we'll all be down there together. But the reason I'm the hired hand is because my kids left me a wonderful parting gift. They're guinea pigs, okay? Now, I am not what you would necessarily call an animal person. I don't hate animals. I don't abuse animals, nothing like that. I am just not a pet person. I am, I'm sorry about that. I think it's okay. If not, I'll buy you a new one, Jamie. Um, I, I got the church credit card. It's all good. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not a people person. I'm not a walking person either, apparently. But um, uh, I said not a people person. I'm not a pet person. But um, yeah, I'm, okay. That really threw me off, I think. Okay, let's, let's, let's restart here. Okay. All right. Hi, I'm a hired hand. I've got guinea pigs. There we go. We're back. So, yeah, my daughter, especially Talitha, she loves these guinea pigs. And when she comes home from school, boom, right up the steps, and she grabs Cookie and comes down, and she's got Cookie right on her chest there. She's got hair all over her. She doesn't seem to care. And she sits down, and you can see that Cookie loves this. Cookie knows Talitha. Cookie knows Talitha because Talitha really has care and love for this guinea pig. They have a, a pen that they'll put outside sometimes to take them out, and she'll get in the pen. Caitlin will too, and they'll hang out with the guinea pigs. She's even trained this guinea pig to be able, I'm like, it's like this big. And steps are usually about that big. And this little guinea pig, she's trained to be able to go up the steps, all the way up the steps and right into the cage all by himself. It's actually kind of cool looking. Um, but, but you can see that only happens because she has this relationship with this guinea pig. Well, I'm not holding any guinea pig while they're gone. Okay? There's no guinea pig hanging out on my chest while I'm watching a movie or something like that. Okay? Those guinea pigs are up there. They are getting their food. They are getting their water. They are getting their pellets. Guys, if you're watching online, I promise you they are fed every single day, okay? But the only reason that that cage got cleaned out is because I just couldn't stand the smell anymore, <laughs> right? That's what a hired hand is. A hired hand does not have real care of his sheep. And that's what Jesus is painting the picture of here. A hired hand, when a hired hand was hired for the sheep of Israel, if there was a shepherd who had too many sheep or if the shepherd was, had to go on back in town on business and, and gets a hired hand, this hired hand comes and acts differently. It actually says that the hired hand drives the sheep. He takes his, his staff right here. I got this wonderful shepherd's uh, staff. He has a rod and a staff, and they're used for many things. And one of them, it's usually used as a weapon. But the hired hand would use it to just kind of prod the sheep along 
but pushing the sheep. Sometimes it says that they would actually get along the side of the sheep when they're herding them to new pasture. And if they're getting out of line, just like whack them over the head. I know it's kind of, you can't really picture it. So Duke, why don't you come up here for a second so I can demonstrate, okay? So, <laughs> But the good shepherd, just like it says in verse four here, when he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. The good shepherd goes before his sheep. He leads his sheep. We hear about this in Psalm 23, the, good, the, the story of uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Verses two to four, he says this, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They are not getting beat over the head by their shepherd. Instead, when the sheep are going through that valley, they can look ahead and they see and they hear the rattle of the, sh of the, the shepherd's staff. And they're like, my shepherd is still there. If he is going through there, I know that I am going into a good place. It might seem scary around. And you know what? I see the wolves over there. The wolves, they want to come down. They want to harm me. But if they come, I know that they're going to feel the crack of my shepherd's staff right on their head. And that is what Jesus does. That is what a good shepherd does. He leads his sheep. He defends his sheep. He cares for his sheep. But what sheep is he caring for? Verse 16 says this, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, Jesus, had, when they heard this, it was, okay, Israel is the flock and Jesus is the shepherd. But then he's saying there's other sheep and that's us. That is the Gentiles, everyone who is not Jewish. He's saying we're gonna be one flock one day. And that is why we are here because Jesus died on the cross, not just for Israel, but for everyone. But I think we can make this even more personal. See, a lot of times I think we, we think about the sheep in, in Jesus' sheep pen and they, they tend to, to look like this, uh, this picture up here. They... Um, Right there. Cute little lambs, right? That's what we always see. Every picture is just these lambs that are following after Jesus, right? They're so cute. They're so cuddly, so adorable. But I wonder if there's a few in his flock that look like this, <laughs> right? I think that we might see a sheep like that in his flock or, or maybe this one right here. Uh-huh. I've seen a few of those hairstyles right here in church, okay? Or, or maybe this one. That's a whole lot of sheep that is in Jesus' sheep flock, right? Or maybe we all feel like we can relate more to this next one. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? That is exactly how I feel. I am that black sheep. In fact, I never even wanted to come to church because I'm always the one who says, if I show up at church, then the church is going to, I'm going to be zapped by lightning. And the church is going to burn to the ground because I am just such a black sheep. I am such a sinner. I am so bad. And I feel it right now because everyone around me is, is just like pure as white as snow. And I'm totally exposed here. Everybody sees me. Yeah? Well, maybe some people do see you. But you know what? So does God. God also saw way back in Genesis, he saw this servant girl named Hagar. Hagar was a slave. Hagar was a slave to Abraham, the father of Israel, the father of faith, who was waiting for the promise of his son to come. And it was taking a little while. So he talks to his wife, Sarah, and says, hey, you know, try and get this promise moving a little bit faster. How about I sleep with our servant girl and uh, get her pregnant? And she's like, yeah. And then she gets pregnant, and then Sarah's not too happy about it. I wonder why, right? 
And so she starts mistreating Hagar, abusing her, just bullying her, and Hagar runs away. But when Hagar runs away, she's just out there in the middle of nowhere, crying, probably expecting she's going to die at some point. And then God speaks to her. He blesses her. He says what he is going to do with that child and tells her to go back home. And she goes back. But she also, when she goes back, she says these, and you can see these words in Genesis 16, 13. She says these words, El Roy, which means the God who sees. God saw her. He saw her as a slave. He saw her as a servant girl. He saw her as abused and broken. And if you are here as a black sheep, he sees you as well, just like he saw Hagar. But let me tell you this also. We need to look at that picture in reverse. Because it is not one black sheep amongst a bunch of white sheep that are in Jesus' flock. It is a bunch of black sheep. There is not a single person that Jesus brought into his sheep pen that came in pure as white as snow, perfect and unblemished. He brings in the broken. He brings in the bad. He brings in the sinner. That is what Jesus does. So if you were thinking, I stand out, you don't stand out. You're just like me. You're just like everyone else here who has fallen short of the glory of God because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you are in good company. But let me tell you this also. There is transformational power in the sheep pen of Jesus. We do come in broken and beat up and messed up and covered in sin. But Jesus says, you are going to leave different. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. When we become part of the flock of Jesus, we are changed. We are changed. We become like Jesus. We become his light in the world. So don't get hung up on how bad you are. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And he didn't do it complaining about how bad you are, saying, you know what? I wish you were just like maybe a little less bad like this guy over here. He's like, no, sin is sin. And I died for it all. You are welcome into my sheep pen. That is a beautiful, beautiful love story. But it's not a full love story unless we get with these last verses here. Verses 17 and 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. Our shepherd has strength. He has authority. What kind of love story would this be if he was forced to die on the cross? But he was not forced. He laid his life down willingly. He gave his life. He could have gotten off of the cross. He could have called multitudes of angels to come and, and, and protect him and defend him and wipe out all his enemies. But if he did that, we're not here today. There is no salvation. There is no freedom from the curse of sin and death. And Jesus said, that is worth it because I love my sheep. And therefore, I give my life. No one takes it from me. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And we live in that story all the time because it's, it's comforting. It's comforting to be the sheep of Jesus. But what does Jesus want us to do with all of this? Does he just want us to sit here and feel good and cozy and stay in the sheep pen? No. Jesus always has more. There's more than what he is just saying in the story. Yes, he's telling us about how much he loves us. 
but he's also telling us about who we are supposed to be. The title of the message, I forgot to mention this, I don't know if it was up on screen, is I am, therefore you are. And that means like Jesus is the door, Jesus is the good shepherd, but what about us? Well, as Jesus is the door, he calls us to be the door. As Jesus is the good shepherd, he calls us to be the good shepherd. Just like he was telling the Pharisees that they were failing in being the shepherds of Israel, he is calling us and saying, hey, you can be like me too. So let's just spend a moment to see what that means. First is doers. If we are doers, as I mentioned earlier, it means that we are defenders. We are protectors. Will we defend the gospel? Will we defend truth? That when we hear truth or someone who is spouting truth and it's really a lie, are we going to say, hey, that's not true. We live in a world that doesn't want to accept absolute truth. It says that absolute truth is not real. Well, that, that's just an absolute truth statement right there, so it's contradictory, but, you know, they still go through that anyway. Will we stand strong and say, you know what? I'm standing on the truth of Scripture. You can't twist that. You can't take that from me. Will we, will we defend the next generation? Will we defend the youth and the children that are over in kid zone? Will we stand up for them knowing that there is so much coming at them in their schools, in the, in the media, movies, and all that kind of stuff? I mean, there is just junk out there. Will we defend them? Defend them by, by loving them? Defend them by being here and helping in the, in the youth ministry and in the children's ministry? Or just by being a parent or even a, a good neighbor friend to those who are in the area? Will we defend the next generation? Will we defend our families? Parents, moms, dads, are you willing to tell a kid, you can't watch that on TV, even though they're going to whine and complain about it and say, why? Everyone else is watching this. You're like, no, because that's just junk for you. We got to defend them. We got to protect them. We have to say, this I am not letting in. Will we defend our marriages? Praying together, spouses, reading the word together, making sure that we are serving one another because that's what we went into marriage for, not for what the person is going to do for us, but what we will do for them. Well, we defend these things and more. And then as good shepherds, a good shepherd is a sacrificer, willing to die. Wait, did you say die? Yeah, I said die. A good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But that story just, is just about Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus died on the cross. There's no way that I can die on the cross and save anyone from sin, right? Well, yeah, that's true. None of us can save anyone from sin, but we are still called to die. We are still called to emulate Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is talking about dying to self, talking about saying, I am going to put others before me. I am putting the sheep before me. I am putting God before me. That's what Jesus demonstrated when he said, going in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that is what we need to take and apply in our own lives if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 22 to 23. He says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. This is the idea of sacrificial living, of dying to self and living for others. Let me put it this way. If I am wealthy, can I spend time with the poor and the destitute? If I have a doctorate, can I spend time with a high school dropout? 
Yeah, the conversation might not be totally intellectual, but you can still love that person, be Christ to that person. If I am happily married, a happily married man to one wife, can I share the love of Christ with a man cheating on his wife or who is identifying with LGBTQ? Absolutely you can, and absolutely you should, because the gospel is not reserved. Like we said, it's not reserved for people who are already white lambs, and then they hear the gospel. It's reserved for those who need Jesus. Just like he says, I came for the healthy. A doctor doesn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Can I cross political party lines for the sake of the gospel? Absolutely. Christianity, our faith is not political. It's love. And then this one's hard for me. As an Eagles fan, can I accept that God also loves Cowboys fans? I'm still working on that one. That's going to take some time. But still, I get it. We talk about sacrificial living, and I understand, like, this all sounds good on paper. This might all sound good up here. But when we think about, okay, going and, and talking to our neighbor, hoping that they're going to become a, a, a sheep of Jesus, or we're going out to dinner, we're going out to lunch, and we're like, okay, I hear this. But then all of a sudden, it's like, but I don't know if I can do this. We get nervous. We tend to think we are not equipped to go. We, we tend to say things like, I don't know enough. I'm not good at prayer. I can't lead. I'll mess up my words. Well, you know who else said this? Moses. And he said, I can't lead them. I, 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 I stutter. And what did God do with Moses? Took a staff and part of the Red Sea, right? Why can't he do that with you? Jesus assures us that if we are the good shepherds that he's called us to be, that he has equipped us to be those good shepherds. He says these words in Matthew 19 through 20. Do not be anxious about what you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I want to tell you, this is not fluff. This is real. If there is a creator of the universe, if there is really a God who came down and died on the cross, then why can't he put words in our mouths when we think we can't do it on our own? We are equipped to be the doors. We are equipped to be the good shepherds. So if you're going out to lunch today and you're thinking, you know what, I want to try what Kevin does. And he says, that he, you know, he always has this little spiel that he talks to the waiter or waitress. I'm going to try that today. I've never tried it before, but you know what, Holy Spirit, I am trusting in you that when I open my mouth, you're going to give me words to say. And maybe it feels a little awkward. So what? Let him speak through you. Or maybe you're called to lead. And this will resonate with some because you're like, okay, I know who you're talking about, director of spiritual growth. I know the ministries you run. Maybe somebody has asked you to lead a small group and you said, I don't know. I really don't know the Bible all that well. I didn't ask you if you know the Bible well. I asked you if you would be willing to trust that God will work in you because it is the wisdom of God that is gonna come through you and he can use you and he can equip you and he can fill you. Let's trust in that. Jesus is our door and our good shepherd, and he has equipped us with everything that we need. With that in mind, as we finish here, I just want to ask you, will you go out with Jesus today and help bring others into his sheepfold? That's what I want to do. And so I invite you to join me in being the door 
and being the shepherd of this church and this world. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you that you are our shepherd. Thank you that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that you didn't put any requirements to go into your sheepfold except that you call us. Thank you that it's not about what we can do to save ourselves, but it's about what you did on the cross. And I pray that if there's anyone right here, right now, who is saying, you know what? I want to be in that sheep pen, and I'm tired of, of, of running away when Jesus goes looking for me. I pray that today they call on you and they enter in. And Father, for those who are following Jesus, I pray that we would lean into the equipping that you have given to us and that we would take up the mantle of being the doers and being the shepherds in this world, that we would not wait and hope that the person next to us will do it, but that every person here will say, yes, just as Jesus is the door, I am the door. Just as Jesus is the good shepherd, I will be a good shepherd in this world. Send us out with this, Lord God. We love you and we praise you, Lord.